Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise. Because of your enemies, to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim in the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray as we uh, get into God's word. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank and praise you uh, for your word. Uh, Father, we thank you that your word is uh, a light to our feet, uh, that it is life for our souls. And Father, we pray that as we uh, give consideration to your word uh, now, that you would be teaching us and nourishing us, encouraging us and challenging us uh, as we seek to live with Jesus as our Lord. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Now, I'm getting a bit of, uh, bit of feedback, a bit of ring back. Um, you, can you hear that at all? Okay, it's gone now. Uh, everyone hear me okay? Terrific. Well, have a look at this, will you? Uh, it, what does it look like? Uh, it looks like a, um, a, a dramatic and rather spectacular cloud uh, in the night sky, perhaps the result of an, a volcanic eruption. And yet, uh, this is actually something far greater than anything that you'll ever see uh, on Earth. Known as the Pillars of Creation, uh, it is a, uh, it's a tower of billowing uh, cold gas and, and, uh, and dust uh, in space. And it is big. It is very big. In fact, NASA uh, scientists estimate it to be uh, 91 trillion kilometres high. That's awesome, isn't it? 91 trillion kilometres high. I mean, how big is that? Well, let's put it into perspective. If you were to travel from uh, the bottom to the top and you were to travel at the speed of light, uh, you'd, it would take you four and a half years to get from the bottom to the top. And it's a long way away from Earth. Uh, such a long way that if you were to travel there again uh, at the speed of light, uh, you'd be on the road for 7,000 years before you got to uh, the pillars of creation. In fact, there is a theory that the pillars of creation uh, may no longer exist because the images that we have of them, the images that we, we, that we detect now, are actually uh, of how they were 7,000 years ago. Not that their non-existence would make much of a difference in the universe, um, for they, they really are just a, they, they're just a, like a tiny speck in our, in our galaxy. And when you think about that, you think about, well, how vast then is, is the creation? How vast? It's so vast that no human mind 
can grapple uh, with its enormity. And as science helps us to learn uh, more about the universe, the more we learn, the more we are humbled as we gain perspective on just how small we are. Although uh, you don't need a powerful space telescope to tell us this, do we? Uh, when on a, on a clear night sky, uh, we can lift our eyes beyond the, uh, the busyness and the trivialities of, of life uh, and look upwards, gaze upwards, and be awestruck uh, by the, the skies that so fill, uh, the, the lights that so fill the sky at night. And that's something which humans have always done, haven't we? Ever since uh, the beginning, people have been looking up into the sky and being dazzled uh, by what they see. In fact, uh, King David, Israel's King David, he would have had plenty of opportunity to do that as uh, a boy attending his, uh, his family's flock of sheep uh, at night on the hills outside of Bethlehem. Uh, and yet, uh, as, as David would look up into the sky uh, through the, uh, the dazzling uh, display of, um, of, of the heavenly canopy, uh, David could actually see something greater, uh, such that in Psalm 8, if you care to have that open in front of you, he begins with this, uh, this great declaration in verse 1, where David says, O Lord, our Lord, uh, how majestic, how, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Um, o Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name. You know, when the Bible speaks of someone's name in, in that sense, uh, it's really speaking about uh, the person's character. It's, it's, it's talking about their reputation. Uh, it's like when we say that um, somebody has a good name and not just because they're called Peter. Uh, or that someone has made a name for themselves, that they have a reputation that they've made for themselves. And here, what David is saying is that God's name, his reputation is majestic on the earth because his glory is revealed in the heavens. And yet we don't even need to look up the heavens to see that, do we? Uh, we only need to open our eyes to the to the nature that we see around us every day. I mean, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? That the, that the sheer and well, the, almost the incomprehensible complexity of uh, so much of the natural world tells us that, that this is not caused by, by mere meaningless chance, but rather that there is, there is design, there is architecture, there is engineering in everything that we see in nature. And yet, we can be people who are awestruck by the night sky and astonished by the beauty of nature, but yet choose to ignore the creator, the one who has made it all. And we do that, we, uh, Paul says in Romans 1, that um, what uh, that God has revealed himself to us through the creation, we have that knowledge, but we choose to suppress that knowledge 
because we actually don't want the creator interfering with our lives. And we, we find ourselves at enmity uh, with the creator God. Um, the famous naturalist, uh, David Attenborough, who has spent his entire life deeply studying nature with all of its uh, spectacularness and uh, all of its intricacy and so on, and, and spent his life sharing that joy with, with the whole world, when asked about this question about God, he says, I don't know. He says, I don't know. I don't know whether there is a God or whether there is not a God. Maybe, he says, I'm just blind. Well, at least he's quite honest in uh, admitting to that possibility. But there are so many people who see the creation, who admire the creation, but deny the creator. So what is God's answer, answer to that, to those who set themselves up against uh, him, against him as he has revealed himself to us in nature. Uh, what, what is God, God's answer to those who uh, are like the person who, who revels in the, in the beauty of a masterpiece but denies uh, the existence of the person who painted the masterpiece? What is God's response? Well, have a look in verse 2. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Through the praise of children and infants. How about that? Many years ago, I went for a walk with our son along a lake in the bushland near where we lived at the time. And I took a video camera along with me just so I could get a few shots of nature and so on. Our son was about four years old at the time. And there we were, surrounded by gum trees with the beauty of Lake Inverell with its uh, abundance of ducks and black swans. And so I asked him to share his thoughts on camera. And he did. He looked at the camera and he said, I love to go for walks along the lake. I could see everything that God made. It's really beautiful. I was so glad that I had the camera rolling for that. And you may know from your own experience that words from the lips of a child acknowledging God as creator are more wise, are more powerful than words from the greatest scientist who refuses to acknowledge the obvious, who refuses to acknowledge that which even a little child can see. Through the praise of children and infants, God has established a stronghold against his enemies. And here we see in verses 1 and 2 that from the sweeping grandeur of the of the galaxy to the lips of the most insignificant child that the name, the reputation, the glory of God is proclaimed to the shame of those who reject him. And yet it's not just the glory of God which astonished David. 
It's also the grace of God. Have a look in verses 3 and 4, where he says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? What is man? That's a good question, isn't it? Uh, because, uh, you know, we, uh, we are often, um, I don't know about you, but I'm often heartwarmed when I you know, see stories on TV uh, of, a, of a celebrity or of a uh, uh, sporting hero who hears about one of their little fans that's in hospital, a little child, and uh, cares enough and makes the effort enough to go to the hospital to visit the little child who's got cancer. Well, they always bring the TV crews along with them, of course. <laughs> but to see the, the, uh, the sheer surprise and the astonishment and the joy uh, of the child that, that someone as great as their hero would actually care enough to come and see them. And that's sort of the picture here of, of God's greatness and his care for us, uh, who were so small, so comparatively insignificant. But notice how great God is. It's not just that God is as big as the celestial bodies, the stars and the moon and, and so on, far from it. It's as if God is so big, God is so glorious, that he had to use the tips of his, little, of his fingers to push and to prod and to shape uh, and to put the stars into place. That is, God is indescribably greater than the heavens, just as the heavens are indescribably greater than us. And so the question is, well, what are we to God? Why would God be mindful of us? Why would God care about us, our joys and our challenges? And why would God bother to listen to our prayers? I mean, surely it's crazy. It's crazy to imagine that the God of the universe even knows about us, let alone cares about us. Now, these are thoughts which, for some people, have led them to despair. That I'm just a nothing, I'm I'm meaningless, I I don't mean anything to God and I'm just a a result of some fluke of nature, just a meaningless configuration of atoms and molecules and and, uh, it leads people to, to despair. But for David, rather than despair, it led him to worship. It's astonishing, don't you think, that the creator of the universe... Uh, is mindful of us and cares for us. Why would he do that? Well, check out verse 5. This is what um, David says to God about us, about man. He says, you made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and and crowned him with glory and honour. You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the seas. You know, in the vastness of the universe, 
there is this one microscopic speck of a planet which from what we know is different from every other celestial body. How so? How's it different? It's different because it's blue. It's blue. The perfect distance from the source of its heat and light, the perfect rotational speed, an atmosphere to insulate it from harmful radiation and to, and to keep the oxygen and the moisture inside the system. So that in all of creation, this one planet would be filled with an immeasurable abundance of life. I was thinking about this this morning as I was having my quiet time in the backyard of our house and there's a lot of bushland around, a lot of... There's lush greenery, lots of trees, lots of shrubs. And uh, with trees and shrubs comes birds. And I reflected on this and I, I thought, how many species of birds can I hear chirping and cheeping right now? There's three or four species of birds just in that backyard, not to mention the kookaburras that woke me up about an hour earlier. <laughs> and then there's the rumbling of the ocean, of the waves... And when God made this planet, friends, he made it for us. For us. For though we are small in verse 5, we are God's special creation. In Genesis chapter 1, we are told that we have been made in the very image of God, which uh, at least means, firstly, that we have been created to live in relationship with God to know God and to be known by God. I mean, think about it. The pillars of creation, they may be 91 trillion kilometres high and of all of the uh, animals and birds and insects and fish and so on, there are countless species, but none of these can utter a single word to their creator. But a little child can. A little child can. For we are made for relationship with God, unlike the animals. I'm reminded of the story of a few years ago of a zoo in Denmark where they decided to have a homo sapien cage. You go visit the elephant cage, the lion cage, the giraffe cage, the homo sapien cage and so on. And people went on shifts to occupy the cage. We're not like the other animals, are we? It's not like that. In verse 5, 5 to 8, as God's image bearers, we are to rule over the creation. We are to farm the ground. We are to care for the planet. We are to care for its creatures. God has given us sheep and cattle and, the, and, and plants for our well-being so that we may have life, so that we may live, and that we may have life that is lived for him, in relationship with him. It's not always the way that we see things in the world, though, is it? See, for so many living and dying without a relationship with God. And so I want to ask you this question, what is it that stops us having a relationship with our creator? Is it the puniness of our size in comparison to him? 
Or is it something else? Is it our sin? In verse 5, David asks the question, what is man? And that's a good question. It's a question which is posed in at least a couple of other passages in the Old Testament. This question, what is man? Uh, Like in Psalm 144, which answers that question uh, with the sobering reality, what is man? Well, man is like a breath. His days are like a fleeting shadow. That's Psalm 144's answer to the question, what is man? Like a breath, his days are like a fleeting shadow. And that's something which we need to hear, is not? Because when we ignore God, our creator, we live for this life alone. We live as if there is no eternity. And we forget about the fact that we are like a fleeting shadow without God. Or in Job chapter 25, where from the question, what is man, comes the answer that man is like maggots and worms because of our sin. A fleeting shadow, maggots and worms, it's a far cry. Is it not from being crowned with glory in Psalm 8? But that is the, that is the paradox of man, that we are both the best of creation as we're also the worst of creation because of our sin. And so Psalm 8 points us not to ourselves, uh, but rather to another man, to a perfect man. And for this we need to go to the New Testament uh, where Psalm 8 is seen as being fulfilled in Jesus. (laughs) There was one incident where uh, Jesus had healed some people, some people who were lame and some people who were blind, and uh, the children who were there at the time um, started praising Jesus, giving glory to Jesus. The religious leaders were not too thrilled about that, and they rebuked Jesus about that, about accepting worship and praise. And uh, Jesus just referred them to Psalm 8, from the lips of children, (laughs) from the lips of children. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 2, which I'll show on the screen there, in Hebrews chapter 2, look at what it says from verse 6 to verse 9. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honour and put everything under his feet. Uh, what is that quoting? That's quoting from Psalm 8. But then the author of Hebrews goes on to explain that. In putting everything under him, God left nothing which is not subject to him. Speaking of Jesus. Yet at present we do not see everything subject to him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour, Because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus. Although he is God the Son, was born as a man, like us. A little lower than the angels. And now, 
resurrected from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father, he is crowned with glory and honour. And why? Because he tasted death for us when he died for our sins. Hands that flung stars into space, we sometimes sing, to cruel males surrendered. Psalm 8, you'll notice, both begins and ends with the same words. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Majesty which is seen both in the, in the glories of creation and also is shown in God's grace to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, in the gospel of Jesus. A gospel which is powerful. A gospel which is such a powerful message that even when spoken from the lips of children... It breaks Satan's grip on people's lives. People come to know God by hearing the gospel and by putting their faith in Jesus. Even when it's spoken from the lips of little children. And we don't always think that way, do we? I mean... uh, (laughs) I, I don't know about you, but I think, you know, sometimes I feel a bit shy to, um, uh, to talk to my friends about Jesus. Uh, sometimes we can be even a bit apprehensive to, to even raise the topic of, of God. Um, even on those beautiful star-spangled nights. Uh, even when we're in the midst of the beauty of all of the nature around us. And we might think, well, I'm just very clumsy with words. I should just keep, them, keep my trap shut um, because I don't want to muck it up. Uh, or, uh, you know, surely, I, surely my words won't make any difference uh, when I speak to my friends. And who'd believe me anyway? <laughs> Yet the power is not in us, is it? The power is in the message. It's a simple message. I wonder if you've ever noticed how... It is that God has this strange habit of using the weak and the foolish things of the world to shame the powerful and the wise. Like little children. And like us. And when he does that, who gets all the glory? He gets the glory. You know... um, When the uh, NASA scientists, uh, the NASA astrophysicists, named uh, this formation the Pillars of Creation, they they got the name from a sermon. Can you believe that? They got the name from a sermon uh, preached in London in 1857 by the uh, well-known Baptist minister uh, Charles Spurgeon, where Spurgeon described the Lord Jesus Christ as being the one who holds up the pillars of all of creation because he is God in the flesh. Astonishing, isn't it? That the creator of the universe would not only 
know you and care for you that he would come and die for you. And in all of the busyness and the trivia and the superficiality of life, that is a very compelling message for us and for all people that in all of creation that the cross of Jesus shows that we, as puny as we are, are most precious to God the Creator and that he is therefore worthy of all of our praise. Let's pray. Father, we uh, are awestruck that uh, you are so great, so majestic, uh, so um, incredible in ways that are just completely beyond our ability to comprehend and yet you are mindful of us and yet you care for us and yet you have even sent your son to die for us. Father, we are awestruck not only by your glory but also by your grace. We pray for each one of us here that we would be those who put our trust in Jesus and live our lives with thankful praise uh, for you and for who you are and for all that you've done for us, that we would be able to sing your praises, not just now, but forevermore. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Scott. We serve an amazing God, and it's great to remind us how precious we are.